I need my radio. Go. I won't plug it in. All right. You guys ready to find Matthew 28? All right, Matthew 28. So, let's hear the word and then uh, dive right in. Matthew 28, verse 18, starting in verse 18. Jesus says this to his disciples. This is after he rose from the grave, right before his ascension. He says this. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The book ends with amen. So we have been, the last number of months, the Lord has been giving us His perspective on history, on the world, on eternity, right? You remember, we've been seeing our life and this world from an eternal perspective and what we've called a kingdom perspective. We've been seeing that Jesus is the leader of his church, amen? He's not dead, he's alive, he's sitting at the Father's right hand, he's the head of the body, he is the leader of his church. We are seeing that though the gates of, um, Jesus said, I will build my church, Right? I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. That though the gates of Hades are there, there's opposition, there's resistance. Uh, last week we looked at Psalm 2, that the nations rage against God. People conspire and plot things to harm other people, to try to shut down uh, what God wants to do on the earth. Despite all of that, He is leading His church. Amen? He is doing something redemptive on the earth. And so what the Lord has been doing is he's been reminding us of of this. He's been giving us his perspective. He's been showing us that our life only makes sense. Our life only finds purpose under his lordship. That if we're not seeking first the kingdom, we're wasting our life. Wasting our time. That he is Lord. That what God is doing on the earth is so much bigger than you and me, of course. He loves you. He created you, right? He bought you with his blood. You're part of his redemptive plan, but his redemptive plan is so much bigger isn't it? Our life on this earth like a breath, isn't it? And yet, we'll spend eternity reigning with Jesus. This is what the Lord's been teaching us, that He is doing something powerful on the earth, and He's inviting us into it, right? And so what we see here in Matthew 28, you'll remember we've looked at this recently, is that Jesus is describing Himself sitting at the Father's right hand. He's saying, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority. Right? It says all authority. And he speaks to his disciples like the leader of the church, like the king of his kingdom, like the CEO of an organization. And in, the, in, the great, uh, in Matthew 28, we're given what, what we call, for, for all throughout church history, we're given what's called the Great Commission, right? And if, and, if, and if we were an organization, we would call this the mission and the vision of his organization, right? What's the mission? A mission is what we're, we do. A mission of an organization is what you do. The vision is the scope. How, how, how big do we want it to go, right? And we see right here Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go, make disciples of all nations. That's what the Bible calls the Great Commission. The mission, what we're called to do, 
is to make disciples. It's what we do. It's that simple. It's that simple. We follow Jesus, and as followers of Jesus, we become like him, and in becoming like him, we reproduce ourselves in, in seeing other people become followers. Now, what we don't mean by this, of course, is, is controlling, manipulating people, uh, creating robots, and forcing people to think like we think. No, that's not what it means at all. It means that we have the privilege of inviting people into a relationship with God who made them, right? We have the privilege, privilege of letting people know People who are broken, bound in sin, deceived, lost. We have the privilege of letting them know that there's a God who loves them, who created them, who died for them, and wants a relationship with them, right? We have the privilege of inviting people into that relationship with Jesus. When they are following Jesus, they're disciples. They're not disciples of us. It doesn't say go make disciples, or what's not implied is go make disciples of of you. No, make disciples of Jesus, right? invite them, cause them to become followers of me. Why? Because when they follow Jesus, they'll find who they really are, right? When they find Jesus, they'll be blessed. Right? Amen? This is the Great Commission. This is what we are called to do. This may not be all that it means to seek first the kingdom, but it surely is a big part of it, isn't it? This is the mission of the organization. This is what Jesus is doing. He, this is what he's doing on the earth. And this is what he's inviting every single one of us to participate in and to partner with him in. This is our calling. Amen? Amen. The vision, of course, is all nations. That's the scope. Big, right? Jesus made it very clear. We've seen this. I'm not coming back until all the nations have heard the gospel. If anything is keeping him from returning, and nothing's keeping him from returning, but it's his own decision. That he is waiting patiently till all the nations have heard. And by goodness, I mean, there's a lot of nations to reach, but who knows? We may have already reached that number, right? He could come back at any moment, but we're to live with that urgency of he could come back in any minute. But we're also to live with that passion to make sure that everyone has heard, right? That everyone knows and that all people would have a chance to be saved. Why? Does it God will that anyone would die and go to hell? Anyone? What's the answer? Does God want anyone to go to hell? No, right? There, there should be some adamant, there, we need to be adamant, there should be attitude when we say that. Like, when God, does God want anyone to go to hell? No. That's right, like, there should be like, no! We should hate that thought that anyone would ever not know Jesus or suffer for eternity apart from him because of their sin, when the cure has been provided for, when the price has been paid. It should be one of those, never, not on my watch, right? And God has put us as a church here in this place, among many other churches, that we would reach people, disciple them, and disciples make other disciples. If a disciple's not making other disciples, something's wrong in the process of discipleship. So this is the great commission. This is the mission and vision of Jesus Christ as Lord. Boy, that's a little overwhelming, yeah? (laughs) I mean, just kind of like set aside the all nations part. Just set aside the all nations part. That's still overwhelming. Like, okay, I just want you to go in like one person. Just one person. Good, not all the nations, just one person. That's still overwhelming, isn't it? Everybody... You say, okay, go make disciples. Oh, my goodness, what? That's scary. I don't know how to do it, right? We start saying things like, 
I feel insecure. I, I don't know if I, I don't even know what to say. What, how, who, who do I reach? How do I do this? I mean, it's overwhelming. And oftentimes, so much of our own fears, insecurities, let me, let's be honest, fears of rejection, fears of maybe people, what people would say or messing it up or something like that. It's scary. I think the disciples would have felt that way too, don't you think? I mean, Jesus says, okay guys, I'm going to leave now. I just, want to, you to, I just want to make sure we're clear on what your assignment is. Make disciples. Okay, of all nations. What? <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you want us to do what? Right? It's a good thing he's the one who's the leader of his church. Amen? It's a good thing he's building his church. I can imagine the disciples feeling overwhelmed just like you and I feel overwhelmed. By the way, what the Lord's going to have us do in the next, uh, I mean, maybe a couple months from now, we're going to learn how to do this very specifically. The Lord actually has been t- talking to me about uh, specifics. That David, you know, be specific, get specific. The Lord's going to teach us how to make disciples. It's really not as difficult as we think, but that's not what I want to talk about today. I want you to see something here. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And then notice how he ends at the end of verse 20. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know the word lo, that's a weird word. You know the word lo, it just means behold. It means, yo, check it out, right? So it's like Jesus says, hey, I want you to go make disciples of all nations. And they were like this. What? Inside, right? I know, because I know you guys are feeling that way. They'll be like, whoa, what? And it's like Jesus is like, whoa, 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 check it out, check it out, check it out. I'm with you always. You know, my kids are just like that. My kids are just like that. I go, okay, okay. I want you to go and pick up that toy. Just that toy right there. I just want you to pick up that toy. Okay, I don't know how to do it. And this is, this is literally, this is Dave Turner. And I'm not saying this is how Jesus does things. This is just Dave Turner. I go, whoa, 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 chill, 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 chill. Check it out, check it out. I'll help you. I mean, actually, if it's one toy, I go, hey, hey, it's not that big a deal, you know? For the, uh, for, the, uh, for the big kids. I mean, for Joshua, you know, we don't do that yet, but he's only a year and a half. I think that's literally what Jesus is doing. Okay, I want you to go clean the room. Oh, I can't do it. Hey, hey, let's do it together. Listen, the Great Commission is intimately connected to the Great Promise. God never gives the Great Commission without the Great Promise. The Great Commission is inseparable from the Great Promise. When He asked you and me to go and make disciples, it wasn't a suggestion, but He never intended you to do it on your own. He never thought you could make it happen on your own. Or that we as the church could make it happen on our own. He is the leader of the church, but listen, he's not just the leader of the church. He's not just bringing revival all around the world like we've been talking about. We've been getting a big perspective. But listen, he promises you himself. What is the great promise? We hear a lot about the great commission, don't we? But have you ever heard about the great promise? There is the great promise for the great commission. And it is that verse, verse 20. I am with you always to the end of the age. When he gave us the great commission, he also gave us the great promise. The great promise is the promise of his presence. He himself with you 
in you, for you, enabling you, empowering you, giving you everything you need to fulfill the Great Commission. You were never intended to do it alone, and you are never alone. He is with you. He is in you. Can you imagine just one minute make disciples and the disciples feeling overwhelmed, and then the next second, hey guys, wait, wait, I'm always going to be with you. Oh, that changes everything, doesn't it? That changes everything. Do you think my kids worry about where their next meal's coming from? Now, I know some kids do because they don't have the fathers or mothers or godly fathers or mothers. I mean, it's, it's a tragedy, right? It's not okay that children are hungry. But listen, do my kids? Do my kids, literally, literally, like the other day, uh, my son, John David, wakes up and he comes to, and he says, Dad, I, I couldn't sleep all night. I was really worried about how we're going to pay those bills. Did, he's a firstborn. No, I'm joking. He didn't do that, right? He didn't do that. You know, even firstborns don't do that, okay? Unless, unless, they're, unless the dad has, uh, has left. I mean, my son is not worried about his next meal, okay? I mean, he might be worried if I'm going to feed him broccoli or something like that, but he's not worried, right? He's not worried. He's not worried. Why? Because when you have a master and you're the servant, that master is responsible for you. When you have a father and you're the son or the daughter, that father is responsible for you, amen? Now, if you're doing your own will and you're pursuing your own kingdom and you're building your own kingdom, good luck. You just go ahead and do it on your own. But if you have submitted to Jesus Christ, the Lord, and you are about the Father's business, He's with you. And He has made promises to you. The great promise that He is with you. And when He says, I am with you, think about that. I am with you. That changes everything, right? I am with you. He is promising himself. If my children are scared, they're having a bad dream or something like that, you know, or they're scared of the dark, oh, daddy, I'm scared. What do I do? I go and I'm with them. What has happened? Changes everything. Mostly that's really, they're not really scared. They're just trying to get me to come in the room, but it's okay. That's all right. But think about it. If a child is really scared and you walk in the room and you're there, what happens? Everything changes. Because you're bigger than whatever thing they're afraid of. Is God bigger than everything you're afraid of? I can't hear it. Yeah. It, can God provide for all your needs? Is he able to do anything? Is anything impossible for him? When he promises himself to you, when he promises his presence, you have everything you need. If we don't have anything, listen, if, you, if, if we don't have anything in the natural, if we don't have anything in this earthly world, but we have his presence, we have everything we need. Think about that for a second. If we have nothing in this natural world, everything's been taken from us, but you have his presence, is that enough? When you have his presence, you have everything you need. It changes everything. It changes everything. You're no longer on your own. You're no longer just trying to provide for yourself or for your family on your own human effort. You're no longer just trying to get your ideas done, your vision, your calling, your ministry. You're no longer trying to just find the job on your own. You're not alone. 
You have a God who loves you, who's made promises to you. You have Jesus, your master, saying, if you'll seek first the kingdom, right? You put my agenda first, you're not all these competing agendas, all these competing self-desires, but you say you die to yourself, you seek first my kingdom. He says, I'm with you, and I will add to you everything you need. Everything. I could take you through uh, uh, Scripture after Scripture in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you a couple examples here. But I could take you after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture if you were to look and see every single time in the Old Testament and the New Testament, every single time it says, I am with you or God was with them, everything changed. The reason why supernatural, miraculous things happen in the Scriptures was because God was with them. If you were a good Jewish person, like Peter or James or something like that, and you heard Jesus say, I am with you always, you would think all those times in the scriptures where God said, I will be with you, I will be with you, or it said God was with them, God was with them, and you would know when God promises to be with me, that means God's on my side. That means God is with me. And if God is with me, nothing's impossible. If, who, if God is for me, who can be against me, right? It's just like a duh. It's a duh. Because God is with me. You would know. You would know. Well, whenever in the Old Testament God promised to be with them, he promised them his presence, always favor, blessing, provision, protection, supernatural things happen. Because that's the kind of God we serve, amen? Think about Isaac. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers of our faith, right? Remember Isaac? He was living in the land of Canaan. And um, in Genesis 26, there was a famine. There's a famine. That means there was a drought, okay? No rain. Ground is hard, dry, no crops. That means no food. People die. So guess what everyone was doing? Everyone was going down to Egypt to go and get things from Egypt. Egypt was the superpower. Egypt was the banks, the credit cards. No, I mean, they were the superpower. You went down to Egypt to go and get from Egypt what you didn't have. And guess what you did when you went to Egypt? You sold yourself. You sold what you had. You went into debt. Many times people would go into slavery. That's, the, that's what happens, okay? That's what happens when recession hits. Okay, what has happened in the last number of years as recession has hit America? Has, has, oh, well, the middle class has just increased. People are just living better. You know, we just have more savings, don't we? Oh, these times just really teach us to be more simple, don't they? Well, they could. But do you know what has really happened in these times? In the last number of years, the rich have gotten richer and the poor get poorer. Do you know people have gone more in debt, have less savings, have had to lose one job in order to go get another one with less benefits, with less income? And yet, who's making a lot of money still? Those businesses, those banks. Now, I'm some of that is wickedness and ungodliness. Uh, but what I'm saying is, recession hits, people go down to Egypt, don't they? Times get tough. In the natural, where's the provision? In the natural, what do I do? Where's the jobs? That's in the natural. Here's what God said to Isaac. He says, hey, Isaac, Genesis 26, dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. Did you see that? God always links 
I'll be with you with promises of blessing, favor, provision, etc., etc. What is God saying? Hey, Isaac, I know there's a famine. I know that there's no rain. I know there's no crops, but don't go down to Egypt. You stay in this land. I called you to be here. A lot of times when bad things happen, people get afraid. Should I go here? Should I do this? Should I do that? And we want to run around. Fear is the opposite of faith. When you're motivated by fear, you will do things in the self, right? In self, in flesh. You'll do things to protect yourself. God says, Isaac, that's not what you're to do. God tells Isaac to do something that in the natural is, is, doesn't make sense. He says, you stay here. I've had people ask me recently, Dave, I mean, do you realize the economy, blah, blah, blah. And, and by the way, it's, uh, I'm not to be, uh, this is not to spread fear, but you know, people say, well, what if, the, what if the currency fails in America? I mean, what if, what if, what if? And, and by the way, you know, it could happen. Uh, may not be it. Some people picture a horrible, horrible thing. Some people uh, not, not as horrible. But the reality is we're, we're in some serious times. I mean, there, it's not like necessarily, uh, uh, yeah, just peaches and roses and everything like that, right? But some people who are, are, are scared, they'll say, Dave, what, what will you do? I'll go, what, what do you mean what am I going to do? I'm going to do what I do right now. Well, what about your family? I'm going to do what I do right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shepherd God's people. Aren't you scared? No, there's only one thing that I'm concerned about. Whether my people have faith. You know what? I mean, I want you to understand, your pastor's not scared. <laughs> Things could happen. I'm not scared. I'm going to dwell where God told me to dwell. I'm going to do what God told me to do. He will provide. So God tells Isaac, you dwell in the land. You dwell in the land. You dwell in the land. And he says, I will be with you. Guess what Isaac did? He stayed there. He obeyed God. And what did he do? He sowed in that land. A couple verses later, in verse 12, it says, Then Isaac sowed in that land, in that land, that barren drought land, droughted something land, right? He sowed in that land, and it says that, and he reaped in the same year, not like five years later, he reaped in the same year a hundredfold. A hundredfold out of a ground that nobody else was getting food out of. He reaped a hundredfold. What did he do with that? With that hundred percent increase? What did he do with that? Well, he ate some, and he sold it, and the Bible says he became prosperous and continued to become prosperous till he was really prosperous. He continued to increase in famine. Why was he prosperous? Was it because he's smart and savvy and he knew like where to plant the seed and how to do this and how to do that business deal because he's so really good at interviews and he got the job interview and he got the promotion? And Why? Because God said, I will be with you. Isaac, nothing in the natural, nothing in the physical, the earthly to trust in, but God says, I'm with you. And what happens when God says he's with you? Changes everything. Doesn't matter if there's a famine, doesn't matter if there's a recession, doesn't matter if you don't have the skills, the ability, the wisdom to make disciples, doesn't matter if you're scared or insecure, or, I don't know if I have any gifts or any talents. When you have nothing in the natural, nothing, well, I'm shy, nothing in the natural, I don't know how to communicate, I don't, I don't know how to answer people's questions. All these things that we're scared of when it comes to fulfilling our calling, making disciples, anything that we're scared of when, here, okay, Lord, I'm trying to live for you. I don't know how. I don't know how to love my children. I don't know how to love my spouse. I don't know how to steward my money. I don't know. It's just the basics of life, right? 
I mean, many of you have the wisdom, but let's say you didn't, right? You come here and you say, I got nothing, Dave. I got nothing. When he says, I am with you, he has just promised you himself. That means you have all the blessing and the provision you need. That means you have the power to overcome any sin. That means you have the ability, the wisdom, the grace, at least the access to it. The access to that wisdom and that ability to do whatever he's called you to do. Amen? If he's called you to be a business owner, that's part of your calling. It's part of your stewardship of his resources. He's going to bless you because he's with you. I could go on and on and on about Israel, about David, about Joseph. Time and time and time, God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. And whenever he says, I'll be with you, blessing. In fact, Jacob, Isaac's son, he had to run away from his home. When he runs away from his home, he comes to a place called Bethel. He lays down, lays his head on a rock, takes, goes to sleep for a little bit, and God shows up at Bethel. Right? Jacob is alone. Jacob has nothing. He's just ran from his house. He doesn't know where he's going. He has nothing. He lays his head on the rock, and God shows up because he's the son of Isaac. And he says to Jacob, Behold, I am with you. Genesis 28, verse 15. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, because that was the promised land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Whenever God makes a promise to you, he always gives his presence as the provision for that promise. Whenever he gives you a commission, a calling, a purpose, an assignment, he always gives his presence for the fulfillment of that assignment. He says to Jacob, I have promised you and, and your fathers and your descendants, I've promised you this land. And, and now you're, go, you're kind of running away, but let me tell you something. I'm going to be with you. I will keep you. What does that mean? I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep you safe. I'll make sure you don't die. Look, if you're by yourself in the ancient Near East in those times, I mean, come on. Lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, bandits, robbers. You don't, you don't travel by yourself in that kind of country. He's scared. God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to keep you. Jacob knows exactly what God is promising him. Because Jacob says, the next thing, Jacob wakes up, says, oh my goodness, God's in this place. And he says to God, if you will keep me, and you will provide for me, you make sure I eat. Okay? The Bible says be content with food and clothing. And he says, if you'll, if you'll make sure I eat, by the way, side note, time out. People will complain, oh, God hasn't done this, God hasn't done that. Did you, have you died yet? You still eating? You got a roof over your mouth? Right, okay. Then he's still good. Okay, but anyways. <clears throat> okay, so time in. Jacob says, hey, hey, if you'll feed me, make sure I eat, and you'll keep me. He says, I'll come back to this place, Bethel, and I will honor you. I'll make you my God, and I'll give you a tenth of everything. See, why did Jacob say that? Because he knew what I will be with you meant. Does that make sense? He knew. When God said, I will be with you, he knew, well, if God's going to be with me, that means he's going to take care of me, right? So Jacob says, if you will do that, I will honor you, okay? What happens? Jacob goes and he meets a man named Laban, and he works 14 years to get his two wives, because uh, Laban tricked him once, right? It works 14 years for two wives. And uh, then he works another six years for wages. At the end of 20 years, Jacob is, he becomes prosperous. 
Okay, he becomes wealthy. He's got servants. He's got cro- uh, land, uh, flocks, I mean. He's got money. And Laban is diminishing. And he decides, man, we've got to get out of here. So he leaves Laban's house, and he's going to go back to Israel. Okay? It's a pretty long trek to go back to Israel. And he takes his family and his servants, his wife, his children, all that stuff. And he begins to leave. And Jacob, uh, I'm sorry, Laban is mad. Laban runs after him. Laban says, confronts him. Hey, you're stealing my stuff. And of course, Jacob didn't do that. And, uh, and listen to what Jacob says in Genesis 30, verse 42. Jacob says to Laban, Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of J- uh, Isaac had been with me, Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. Laban changed Jacob's wages ten times, more than, probably more than ten times in six years. First, he served Laban as a servant to pay the dowry for his two wives. Then when he was actually working for wages, Laban kept changing his wages ten times or more trying to trick him and deceive him. Think about it. In the natural, without God, Jacob would have been a slave of Laban for his life. He would have been indebted to him for life. Laban would have just kept tricking him, changing things, all that stuff. Jacob's statement is true. Unless God had been with me, you would have left me empty-handed. I wouldn't own land. I wouldn't own anything. I would be your slave. And let me tell you, that's true a lot of times. That's true. Unless God is with us, not a thing to my name. At least in Laban's times. I mean, at least with Jacob's life. He ran into a man who was not integrous. He wasn't a boss or a father-in-law who was wanting him to succeed. There's a lot of times opposition in our lives. People who don't want to see us blessed. People who aren't cheering us on. People who wish secretly or out loud that we would fail. But as God said to Joseph, no man can stand against you. No man can stand against you, God said to Joseph. And it's the same thing with Jacob. If God is for you, who can be against you? If God is with you, then nothing can stop God from blessing you. And so what happened? Even though Laban was trying to trick Jacob, even though Laban kept changing the wages, in the natural, it didn't look good. But what did God keep doing? He kept telling Jacob strategies. He kept telling Jacob how to do things. And Jacob's flocks continued to grow. Jacob's stuff continued to be blessed. And Laban's didn't. And even though Laban kept cheating and deceiving and stealing, Laban kept depleting Laban went down economically, and Jacob went up. Do you hear me? People who walk uh, in wickedness, who lie, who cheat, who steal, who cut corners, who don't do business practices with integrity, they will keep depleting. They will go down and down. They might look like they're up for a while. You might have all the cards stacked against you in the natural. It could be economic or, or not. I'm using some economic things here spiritually, emotionally, relationally, whatever, you might have all the cards stacked against you, but if God is with you, it changes everything, right? You could have nothing in the natural, but if the Lord is with you, you have everything you need. What happened? Jacob was prospering. What about Joseph? Joseph was thrown into a slavery, thrown into prison, and yet the scriptures say, but the Lord was with him. And what happened? Caused Joseph to prosper where he was at, 
And then when the time came, lifted Joseph out of prison and put Joseph as the second in command of Egypt. Why? Because that was God's plan for Joseph's life. If the Lord is with you, you will fulfill your calling. If the Lord is with you, there is no lack. If the Lord is with you, you will succeed in what he has called you to. If the Lord is with you, he will fulfill his promises for you. If the Lord is with you, all the provision you need, all the protection, and the Lord will vindicate you. You hearing me? Amen? Amen. That's what it means that the Lord is with you. The promise of his presence is the promise of himself. And when he promises you himself, he is promising you all of his resources, all of his power, all of his provision, all of his favor, all of his grace. I remember when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and and God says to the Israelites, you ask them, you ask your neighbors for clothing and gold and jewelry. And the Bible says God gave the Israelites favor. Favor. Now we all have favor with God. But it, God says, I'm going to give you favor. And so what happened was they went and they asked, hey, by the way, can I, can I, can I, oh, that's a nice shirt. Can I have that shirt? Uh, they, they asked, you know, hey, can, can I have your, oh, I like those earrings. Can I have those earrings? They asked their neighbors for stuff and the neighbors were like, yeah, yeah, just take it. Get out, get out. Here, here, here. Here's my clothing. Here's my gold. Here's my jewelry. And the Bible says they plundered them. They plundered them. Listen, when God gives you favor, you can ask what you desire, not just of him, but of people, and God will open their hearts to you. Favor, the word favor is what we mean when we say please. Hey, can you do me a favor? Hey, can you please do me a favor? That's what we mean when the word please is basically like favor. Can you do me a favor? Can you please do this? You're asking of something. And when you ask, we all know, if you abide in Jesus, right, you can ask what you desire and it will be done for you. That's favor. Because you're in him, because he's in you, you can ask the desires of your heart and the Father will do it. But did you know the Lord gives you favor with people? And open people's hearts to you. So you say, oh, I don't know how to share the gospel. The Lord is with you. I don't know how to make disciples. The Lord is with you. You're following the Lord. Everything you do, every relationship, every job, every minute, every second, everything you do in the commission of the king to know him, to become like him, to partner with him, to make disciples. You bring everything, all of your resources under his lordship. He says, I'm with you. The Bible says, whatever you put your hand to will prosper. Whatever you put your hand to will prosper. Why? Because you're doing it for the Lord. That's if you're abiding in him. Listen to this, 2 Peter 1. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. He is in you. The God who created the world has put His Spirit inside of you. The one who spoke the world into existence is living in you, and the Bible says He has given you all you need for life and godliness. Everything you need to overcome sin, to gain victory, to move into the promise of God and fulfill your calling, and to do life for his glory, he says he's provided for you everything you need. If he is with you, you have everything you need. Now, it's to the degree that we believe this promise that we'll see the power of God. Right? Think about it. It's to the degree that we believe that this is truth that we'll see this happen in our life. 
I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith. The just shall live by faith. God told Joseph, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. I, you're, Joseph had a huge assignment in front of him. Go in, take the promised land. There's all these giants and fortified cities. He says, he says when you see all that stuff, they're bigger than you, they're stronger than you. God actually said that. Did you know that in the, in the Old Testament? He would tell them, they're bigger than you, they're stronger than you. <laughs> that's really encouraging, right? I mean, that's like a coach telling this, the football team, they're better than you, they're stronger than you, they tackle harder, but you're going to win because I'm with you. That's literally what it is. God said, they're bigger than you. And then he told Joseph, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Do not look in the natural. Don't walk by sight. But he says in, jo- in, in Joseph, um, in, uh, in jo- I'm sorry, it's Joshua. I'm sorry, I was mix- messing up. In Joshua chapter one, he says to Joshua, he says, don't be afraid. He says, why? Because I am with you. To the degree that you believe that God is with you is the, to the degree that you will see the power of God released in your life. We've got to learn how to tune in to his presence. And this is what the Lord is doing in our church. This is what the Lord is doing. He's calling us to be a people of his presence. To learn what it means to be a people of the abiding presence of God. To learn what it means to be a people that walk in his presence all the time. What does that mean? That he is with us. What I sense from the Lord is that he's going to be teaching us how to tune in to his presence, to become more aware, more sensitive to the reality that he is in us, with us, for us, leading us, speaking to us, empowering us. Amen? He's wanting us to become more sensitive. It's by faith. It's believing that this is reality, not just at church, but every day, all day, in everything that you're doing as you Seek first the kingdom. He's saying, for the great commission, I am giving you the great promise myself. But don't you feel like a lot of times you say, okay, he's with me. That's good. As I teach you the word, your faith is built up, right? But a lot of times you walk through your day and we just get distracted, don't we? We forget. We get distracted with all our to-do lists. We get distracted. We forget God is with me. We forget like, hey, I'm hanging out with the creator of the universe. This is good stuff, right? We forget we get distracted. We get overwhelmed. Something bad happens. The bill comes and you go, uh, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? Right? But you forgot something, didn't you? You're not alone. Oh man, how am I going to pay for this? So, you're God? You're, you're, you're your provider, right? Like I said, does my kid do that? Oh no. How, are we, how am I going to do that? How am I going to provide for this? Whose bill is it? If you're in his house, if you're working his land, right? If you're the servant working your master's land, who's responsible? He is. You're responsible to obey him. You're responsible to trust him. So how is it that we can tune into his presence and say, man, a lot of times it just feels like static, right? You're like, I don't hear God. It just sounds like, you know? Or you ever tune to that radio station where it's like, you know, one of those things, you're just like, ah, turn it off, right? Right? You, some of you, actually, some, by the way, this is a radio. Some of you don't know that. It has a, has a dial right here. It's something that we had before iPads, okay? Or I, I, iPods, I mean, and all that. MP3 players. Okay. How do we tune in? 
How can we get to a point where we're hearing the voice of the Lord all the time? Is that possible? Yeah, he wants to lead you. He's in you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to lead you. How can you get to a point, place where you're attuned, acutely aware, keenly aware of his presence, that he is with you? Because the problem isn't God. The problem isn't like, where did you go, God? Where did you go? I know some of you probably feel like, hey, I feel like he went somewhere. Yeah, that's the problem. You feel like he went somewhere. He didn't. He is in you. He is with you. That's not, he's not the problem, right? We need to learn how to tune in. That's what we're going to learn in this series, how to tune in to his presence. Now, think about it. Got my radio here. Um, there's radio waves all over this room. Did you know that? I learned this from John Paul. He learned me a thing or two. Right? There are actually lots of things floating around this room. We just don't see it. We don't feel it. You know, that's what this, you know, the spirit realm is just simply outside of our, for many of us, our regular perception. That doesn't mean it's not there, you know that, right? There's gamma rays out here and radio waves and all these different waves and light rays. You know, you've got to get the right glasses, if you will, to see the, uh, you know, like the heat signatures on people and things like that. Those are, those are waves. Those are light, different types of waves. The spirit realm is like that, too. There's radio waves floating all over this room, radio signals and stuff like that. In fact, I'm sure something held this, that board over there is working with something over there, with that antenna to make my voice amplified over here. I mean, it's just there's signals. There's signals traveling through the air, okay? And a lot of people will say, oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. God's everywhere. God's everywhere. God's everywhere. We just need to believe that God's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, he is everywhere, by the way. He is. He is. But when he promises you his presence, he's not saying, oh, I'm just everywhere, no, he's saying, I'm with you. He loves everyone. But those who are in covenant with him, those who have put their faith in Jesus, he has made promises to them. In order to pick up the radio signals that are, that are going on around here, you need a receiver. Right? First, you need a transmitter to transmit the radio signal. Okay? So you need something that spits out the radio signal. And it's floating through the air. But I don't know. I mean, unless you guys are like got some superhuman powers, do you guys hear radio signals uh, right now? You know what I'm saying? It's probably somebody's here is like, yeah, I do. It's really hard to listen to you, Dave. Uh, no, I'm just messing. You can't pick it up, right? You need a receiver. You need a receiver. So the radio signals float through the air and pick up the signal. You know that? And it kind of like decodes it or whatever. But you also need an amplifier right here. You need the speakers to be able to magnify that sound and so that we can actually hear it. I mean, this is how stuff works, right? When you were born again, the Holy Spirit came inside of you. God himself inside of you. That's the receiver. You see, if, you're, if you've put your trust in Jesus, you are in him and he is in you, and you have the ability to receive his presence in your life. That's what we mean by the abiding presence, not, not, not the omnipresence of God. Yes, he's everywhere. No, his abiding presence, that he's with you. He's made promises to you. But just like a radio, you've got to tune in. Right? There's a lot of static out there. There's a lot of other voices. I'm telling you, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in your head that is not God. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in your emotions that is just not God. There's a lot of the ways that you feel that just are not God. And we've got to learn to tune in to his presence so we know what is his voice, the voice of the shepherd, versus the voice of all these other lies. 
We've got to tune in to what, what His presence feels like so we can be led by His Spirit in these things in every day of our life. So how do you tune in? How do you, how do you move this knob right here and get to a point where you're actually tuned in and you go from to, I love you. Here I am. I'm with you. Right? How do you get to a point where on Wednesday, on Thursday, you sense the presence of God when you wake up or in the middle of your day when you're all stressed and you just you know that the Lord is with you. You're in tune to what he's saying to you. How do you get to that point? How do you get to that point? Let me show you something. Well, I'm not gonna, uh, we'll go into this more later, but I want to end with this. If you want, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. And I want to show you how to tune in to his presence. Like I said, I'm just going to kind of introduce it right now. Ephesians chapter 5. How do you tune in? What's the knob? Does the Bible tell us? Sure does. Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to this. Verse 18. Ephesians 5.18. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. How do you tune in to His presence? How are we as a church going to become a people of His presence? What's the actual tune? What's the knob? Is it some mystical thing we don't know how to do? Just like wish it? We could just beg him, right? We just beg God. Just wish that he'd come. You know, a lot of people don't understand that. They think revival is just God's a picker and a chooser and he does favoritism and stuff. No, 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 no. God inhabits the what of his people? He inhabits the what of his people? Wait, he inhabits the what? He inhabits the praises, praises of his people. How do you tune into the presence of God? Be filled with the Spirit. That's the abiding presence. It's him himself, right? He himself. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. Singing, singing. Listen, when you get praise out of your mouth, it attracts the presence of God. You say, but he's already with me. Amen. But you're increasing your capacity to receive his fullness. You are tuning in so you become more aware or sensitive to his presence. It's always through praise. He inhabits the praises of his people. Be filled with the Spirit speaking psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. Singing and making melody in your heart. Now, obviously, it means speaking, speaking psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. Paul's referring to the corporate gathering. Listen, do you want to be a person of his presence? Then we need to become a people of praise. This is what the Lord wants to do in our church. To become a person of, filled with his presence, filled with the Spirit, constantly filled, you need to be a person of praise. I want to encourage you to praise him all day, every day. The Bible says your praise will continually come out of my mouth. Praise will continue on my lips. But Paul was talking about the corporate gathering. Speak psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to another. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to worship. We're going to worship. 
Listen to me. As the worship team moves forward, we're not done with our gathering, right? This is our time to worship the Lord and to focus on Him. We need to praise Him. He's worthy of it, amen? He's worthy, but we need to praise Him. So we're going to worship right now with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all that we are, we're going to praise Him. Praising means to boast, to thank, to tell God how great He is. I mean, it's, yeah! Praise, applause, shout, you to man, you know, or you to God, you know. When you're praising somebody, you're telling them how awesome they are, what they did was great. That's what praise is, right? And like I said earlier, when we first started, man, if you just won the lotto, man, you could be saved 50 years, but you won the spiritual lotto. Every day of our lives, we're the victors, we're the winners, we have everything we need. Whatever problem you're facing, God is the answer. That's a reason to rejoice, amen? So I don't want you to check out the kids. In fact, by the way, the kids, they're still doing their thing, so don't go get your kids. The kids are doing their class thing. They're learning. But right here, I don't want you just to be here. I don't want you just to sit hands folded or, or, or not singing. I want to encourage you. What the Lord is saying to us, in fact, what I'm inviting you to do, focus. The Lord is saying, focus on me. Give him all your heart. Give him all your mind. Give him your whole being. What does it mean to love the Lord with all your strength? Put your whole body into worship. That's part of the reason why we lift our hands. Give everything you are to the Lord right now as a sacrifice of praise. But listen, open your mouth. Don't just parrot the words on the screen. Open your mouth and praise Him. Speak praise to the Lord. Sing praise to the Lord. Bless the Lord and He will come and inhabit. He will fill you. And as He fills you, He will empower you to do what He has called you to do. Amen? Let's stand and worship.